you're listening to Not Many of You Should Become Teachers, a podcast that explores the world of K-12 education as it intersects with the Christian faith. You might call us extreme moderates. We're skeptics who try not to be cynics and are allergic to cheap rhetoric. Welcome to the show. All right, we're here for episode number six. Five. <laughs> and today is a very special episode because uh, we have our first guest on Not Many of You Should Become Teachers. Today we are chatting all things Indigenous perspectives in a Christian school, and I'd like to welcome our guest, Ms. Lizby Wicket. Well, hello there. Thanks for having me. I'm glad that I made the cut, that I am uh, able to be a teacher. Um, yeah, I uh, am a colleague of yours, and I have been teaching for a long time. And just recently, I have uh, become a little bit uh, focused on what it means to indigenize practice. I am not indigenous myself, but uh, and our school population here is not necessarily, uh, we don't have a lot of indigenous students. However, uh, it's an area that I think is really important and really important for Christian teachers especially. So thanks for having me. Yes, Lizabie, it's wonderful to have you on our show, and we do spend many times in our uh, humanities office talking about all sorts of things, and I think would be helpful for our listeners to just situate ourselves uh, in British Columbia. We mentioned in our first episode that we uh, we have listeners from all over, but we're talking specifically in BC, and this is also nationwide. I know it's a Canadian issue and conversation that's happening. So maybe for our listeners who don't know, uh, you could explain a little bit about the whole idea behind the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, the TRC, what it is, and uh, something called the Call to Action as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, uh, of course, Canada has had a, a history of colonialism for hundreds of years, and that there has been a lot of examples of colonial abuse, I suppose, is the best way to say it, um, of Indigenous peoples across the country. And uh, most, um, or culminating, I guess, in the residential schools that were in place in Canada for um, about a century. And so in 2008, um, as a result of the Indian Residential Schools Settlement Agreement, uh, the federal government um, first apologized officially for those residential schools and then also uh, struck a commission um, whereby the Truth and Reconciliation Commission met all across Canada, heard the stories of survivors, heard the stories of people that were involved in that, heard the stories of family members. Um, And uh, after a six-year process uh, and a six-volume report, uh, they published 94 calls to action that hopefully are a bit of a blueprint, or actually not a bit of a blueprint, an actual blueprint for how Canada should move forward uh, in terms of reconciling with uh, Indigenous and non-Indigenous Canadians. What is most relevant to educators is the uh, number 62, which says, make age-appropriate curriculum on residential schools treaties and Aboriginal people's historical and contemporary contributions to Canada, 
make that mandatory education requirement for kindergarten to grade 12 students. And so British Columbia has actually taken that on board and in the curriculum that's been implemented in the last however many, two or three years, uh, that is actually a requirement that Indigenous perspectives be integrated across the curriculum, across all grade levels. Uh, so BC teachers are wrestling with what that means, um, how they are going to change their practice to reflect those new goals, uh, what it means to uh, work towards reconciliation after so many years of colonial um, history. And uh, yeah, so it's an exciting time, I think, to be in education because we are charting a new course and hopefully, I think, a better course. Uh, and uh, if we can um, educate our the new generations coming up, I think we could certainly have a different reality for Indigenous and non-Indigenous Canadians. And in fact, uh, Justice Murray Sinclair, who was the chair of the Reconciliation Commission, he is now senator, but uh, he is quoted as saying at the end of it all, education is what got us into this mess, the use of education, at least in terms of residential schools, but education is the key to reconciliation. And so this is something that Indigenous peoples have identified as being meaningful for them and important to them. And so I think it's really important that we follow their lead and look at ways of creating that uh, reconciliation path. So after hearing what you mentioned, specifically with the call to action, I recognize that there's people from a variety of different backgrounds that might be asking this question around, well, why do we need Indigenous content? Why do we need Indigenous perspectives? I'm from a background of XYZ, they name whatever it is, I would like my background to be represented. Um, wh why is there supposed th this call to action for Indigenous people specifically, and why is that important? Well, the calls to action are specifically for reconciliation with Indigenous people. So uh, they are, in that respect, focused on um, charting a path forward between all manner of non-Indigenous Canadians and Indigenous Canadians. And so I think what is really important for uh, settler colonials and others to re recognize is that these are the first peoples of our nation, that they, this land is their traditional territory. Uh, the, all of the decisions that have been made um, have been made without Indigenous consultation by and large. Having said that, there's also a very strong legal background with treaties and um, uh, constitutional rights that identify uh, specific Aboriginal rights. And so, in fact, Aboriginal people in Canada do have uh, different rights than other Canadians. And so it is important to recognize that and that they we, we covered this material specifically because uh, the First Peoples are just that. They are the people on whose land we live and work and play. Uh, and so to educate the rest of Canada about that reality, I think is, again, what Indigenous peoples have requested is the way forward and so that is to in honor and to acknowledge that fact i think that's how we should move forward so it's almost like there's a bit of decentering going on for non-indigenous teachers that we kind of remove ourselves in place of something that has kind of been neglected and often uh, pushed to the side yeah and that's definitely true uh, when you look at the statistics of in, uh, aboriginal children in the school system uh, they have not 
thrived in the settler colonial ways uh, in which they've been educated. So part of part of the education move in the calls to action is also to provide a more um, indigenous education so that Aboriginal kids can be taught in a way that honors their culture and that uh, is not a Western model. It is, uh, it kind of reflects the, their worldviews and their cultural practices in a more genuine and, uh, yeah, I guess, authentic way. So this is a, a faith and learning podcast. And we're talking as Christian educators or in a Christian institution. And when I hear words, Lizabe, like truth and reconciliation, these have some that have theological tone to it. And I'm wondering what this what this means for us specifically as Christian educators. What we're what we're called to, how we might approach this, how you how you see that playing out, not just in the in the broader culture, but here in a Christian institution. I think that Christian schools really should be on the forefront of this movement uh, because truth and reconciliation commissions have been held in uh, South Africa, in Rwanda. Like we are talking about acknowledging the truth of really some terrible harm. Uh, cultural genocide is actually the language that's used. And so before anything can change, we as Christian people, particularly because these residential schools were often run by churches, and so the abuse that took place in them was carried out, you know, in the name of Jesus, actually, uh, I think that we have a really huge responsibility to acknowledge the truth of that and to lament for the pain and the suffering and the cultural genocide that has afflicted um, this country and um, the, the ignorance that the non-Indigenous peoples in Canada have for that trauma. And uh, so we acknowledge that, we lament for it, we repent of our, of our own involvement in it, even though, you know, I wasn't responsible personally for any of that. Uh, but as a, as a member of Canadian society, that is a part of my history, that's a part of, of what has happened in this country. And bef- until I can kind of acknowledge that fact, then I can't move forward because I I need to understand that reconciliation can't happen until you acknowledge the truth. So, and that is a very biblical concept that you, that you acknowledge your own sin, you repent of your sin, and then you uh, move forward in a new way. And, and uh, I think it, within Indigenous uh, worldviews, they have a really lovely term, uh, an Indigenous writer named Randy Woodley uh, talks about the Harmony Way, and um, and that's kind of a, a common thought throughout a lot of various groups of Indigenous peoples around North America. And uh, this idea of, of sort of everything is connected, everything is um, a part of you're a part of everything. So there's no distinction between people and land or people and uh, living things and non-living things. Everything is a part of the creator's plan. And I think we have a lot to kind of learn from that. As a Westerner, uh, we tend to separate things. And so to get back to that that idea that actually God does create everything in whole, in, it, in a whole way, um, that is something that... Uh, I think is really powerful. 
You're peeling back some of the layers of our own identities here. We're talking about Western society, talking about settler colonial, and certainly our, our Christian identity and what we're called to. I find it interesting that we often will use the the phrase that we Christians should be leaders, and that leads a little bit into this idea of it's aspirational. Maybe we've not fully reached that, and we're that is something that we're working on. In some of our other episodes, we've talked about attitudes and perhaps a sense of uh, the actions and the way we do things driven by a spirit of fear. And there might be some some fear behind what this might mean, or is this something that uh, we actually are called to do? And I know, I know this wasn't in the, in the show notes, but this idea of... Um, Approaching it not in fear, right? Or yeah, that's that's a really major part of this, because, well, first of all, I would also like to say that um, when I say Christian schools should be the leaders, uh, it's really important that we actually let Indigenous people sort of set parameters and and lead us in that. That this is not something that we kind of figure out on our own. It's it's developed within relationship that as the more we the more we learn from indigenous people, the more we listen to them, the more we are willing to kind of change our thinking, that is really the path forward. So and and a big part of or a big stumbling block I think is this fear and and within um, a, a Christian school setting and and there is sometimes a bit of you know this idea that this native spirituality is the term that you hear uh, and is something that you know is counter to a, a Christ's model or something and and my my answer to that is um, that actually when you look at as I alluded to before when you look at an an indigenous worldview it's actually far closer to a biblical worldview than the sort of western classical ideals that we aspire to or that we kind of accept as normal um, that I think we as settler colonials could really learn (laughs) to uh, how to connect things the way and and see the world as as I think God has created it. And here in the British Columbia context we have the first people's principles of learning. I think that's what you're alluding to. Yes, yeah. That maybe just for for the uninitiated, mm-hmm. what what are the first people's principles of learning? Well, there are generally, I think, eight of them, and I can't remember them off the top of my head. But they they speak to uh, the importance of connection for one. Uh, uh, that learning is holistic and reflective, and uh, that there is um, you you honor the past and and the people in the past. There is an acknowledgement of the spiritual realm, which I think is something in our Western education we don't acknowledge very much. Uh, There is also um, a recognition that there is some um, knowledge that is sacred and only to be used in certain contexts and with permission. Uh, And so that's why I, I I'm sharing my experience as a as a non-indigenous educator, uh, having sort of been listening to voices that and, and trying to educate myself on these things. But uh, so I, I'm not hopefully not telling stories that aren't mine to tell. But um, there are yeah, it is a very um, thoughtful and very uh, centered on 
community and relationships, which I think, again, is very biblical. If I could just mention one of the first people's principles that has always stood out to me, and I think is is one of the, the ones that a lot of people gravitate towards, is that learning is embedded in story. And I think that, well, we are surrounded by story, whether that's our... Um, TV or movies or books, um, you name it, everything is story. And for me, looking at our Bible as story, really understanding it as as one holi- like holistic story, uh, and then also thinking about what that means has been very meaningful, like for me and my own growth, but also for how I've been integrating faith and learning this year in my own classroom. That um, it is so uh, impactful, a because here we have this Bible that is a story, but also it is it is this clear principle of how we learn. Um, so I've been uh, that's. That I've been using. Yes, that is it. That's a big one. And even when you think of the the whole Truth and Reconciliation Commission as a as an an event, if that's the word, uh, it was stories. It that was what the whole point of it was to hear people's stories, to give people a voice, to have an opportunity to share those stories. And the, the power of story really is that is when spe- people are allowed to speak their truth. That is the the way we learn. That's how we gain empathy. That's how we uh, hear about others' experiences. And I think, yeah, that's the that's the key to this, <laughs> that, we, that we really need to listen. And that is not something that uh, Westerners are really good at doing. Um, and, uh, and I think, you know, the idea of culture, too, we, we fear things we don't understand, and we don't understand other people's cultures, because our own culture becomes normal. And we we don't recognize the failings in our own culture. So when I think of, you know, this fear of quote unquote native spirituality coming into a Christian classroom, uh, people, you know, have the red flags go up, but when we, they don't necessarily react the same way when we talk about materialism or consumerism, things that are real um, stumbling blocks in our own culture, but because we understand that uh, failing, <laughs> or we don't even recognize it necessarily, so we don't have the same, we don't apply the same rules to cultures that, like we are a part of, um, and so, the more we can listen to uh, other people and hear their viewpoint, and not not try to justify things or not try to sort of say, oh no, you don't feel that <laughs> or something that that's not a helpful way forward. You've already mentioned an exceptional tip for uh, for all teachers, but specifically for Christian teachers, and that is to listen. And you can continue to elaborate on that if you'd like, but what are some main suggestions that you would make for teachers who are looking to champion reconciliation, Christian teachers who are looking to champion reconciliation in their classroom and how they can best indigenize their practice? Mm-hmm. So something I have encountered in this in this journey that I've been on is uh, because in this British Columbia curriculum, this is a sort of required thing for teachers to do. Everyone wants to know how to do it. And so there's, you know, there's seminars and there's resources that are now gr- available, which is really great. But um, what I've seen is people are like, okay, tell me how to do this. And everyone gets their clipboards out and their pens and then like, okay, give me some strategies and give me some, some you know, learning tips and stuff like that, or, you know, teaching tips. Uh, and it really, that I think is one thing that if you're, if that's how you're approaching this process, that is not what the intent is. So in other words, I think a lot of teachers are sort of 
interpreting the curriculum to mean we need more Indigenous content. So we need to t spend more hours in the day talking about how the this people group lived or you know what their lifestyle was like or something like that and and while that's a part of it that's more what <laughs> i studied when i was in school way back when uh, and that's that's not actually the the point the point is to um it's a whole paradigm shift whereby you're you are teaching from or considering the indigenous worldviews and and their perspectives rather than just kind of cramming in content. So you, I, if I could give advice, <laughs> um, the the main thing is you have to educate yourself, and you re it it is something that requires. I think if if you are committed to the process, you you got to really learn. It's lifelong learning, right? Yes. Why shouldn't it yeah. exist here? Yeah, and and so I've been a teacher for a long time, and this is something that I have sort of picked up, I, I don't know if that's the right word, but it's a direction, a, a shift in direction that I sort of chose maybe about five years ago. And so it was a relearning for me. And I, in my own background, I have a fairly sort of multicultural kind of experience of things, but to, to kind of say, no, this is really important. And it's too important not to take the time uh, to educate myself and, and try to figure these things out so but I think a lot of people want to take a shortcut in that and just kind of say, okay just tell me how to do it give me a give me my lesson plan for Monday or something like that but that's that's not actual reconciliation I mean it's better than nothing I su nah, it's not even <laughs> but uh, yeah you can I, it is I think every Canadian has a responsibility to at the very least read the 94 calls to action because they're very um they're very comprehensive. They address every aspect of Canadian society, justice, uh, child welfare, language protection, uh, and promotion for Indigenous languages. And until you kind of see what Aboriginal and Indigenous peoples want across the country, you, it, the more you hear from them, the more you, you listen, and again, not try to explain or justify, and, and uh, that's when your own perspectives begin to shift. So the biggest tip has to be learning, listening, building relationships, um, talking to <laughs> Indigenous people, uh, figuring out uh, how, how, and then taking your cues from them in that. And, and being really patient because we're so task-oriented in our culture and uh, that's, not, that's not what the point is. The point is relationship, the point is um, listening and and hearing from elders and hearing from people for whom this is their reality and 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 then being willing to change frankly and that's not something that a lot of people are do easily one of the things that has become more mainstream in Canadian culture and here in BC is land acknowledgement at the beginning of public ceremonies, uh, in informal settings. And that's something that some people might be, A, unfamiliar with, and B, there, there might be uh, even just a, a, a lurking fear that, is, is that enough? Is that just tokenism? Maybe you want to speak a little bit in our experience around land acknowledgement. So I... Um attended a, a, an event last week, actually, that was um, having to do with uh, 
Aboriginal education. And I was struck, they did acknowledge the land at the beginning, and in fact, because there were uh, people from the uh, group on whose land we were meeting, they actually had a a welcome to the land, which is a slightly different protocol. But uh, what what struck me was the number of times just in the conversation the word acknowledge was used again and again and again. And I, and I, that really hit home to me to sort of think, yeah, that's, again, it's that, it's the truth part of that, that we have to understand, we have to just accept as uncomfortable as it is, uh, that the, the, our whole culture here in Canada is built on indigenous land and land for which Indigenous people, they, they don't quantify it. They don't, uh, you can't own land. <laughs> you just are a part of the land and the land gives gifts and we, you use the land and you're grateful for that, uh, which is so not how the West has <laughs> shaped Canada uh, in the colonial way. So, um, so yeah, I feel like if reconciliation is to happen, Canada, the Canadians need to do a lot of acknowledgement. And at the very least, and I, I do say that with like the very least, we can take some a short time at the beginning of a function and acknowledge the fact that our way of life exists because we are on the land um, that has been the sacred land for these people. Um, and I don't think it's a problem for Christians to acknowledge that the land is sacred. I think, like, if, if God created the world and he created it and declared it good, it is sacred land. And so, um, yeah, I think there, there might be people that say that, see that as token, but I, I think it's an important, A, explain why you're doing it, certainly provide a context for it, but I think it is a very meaningful thing. I've also heard a lot of Indigenous people say, when they are at a function and they hear that, it makes them feel far more welcome in that in that function or at that event. So, because it's something that they do within their culture. So, uh, again, it's if if it's important and meaningful t- for the people who we're trying to reconcile with, then I think that's an important step to take. Um, and and on that, you know, I think there's another. If we're talking about fear, another fear people have is sort of like doing it wrong, right? Like uh, they're they're saying, you know, I, I don't want, I don't, I'm not indigenous. What can I teach or whatever? And again, at this function I was at, um, someone expressed that. <laughs> yeah, at the table I was at, and the, these two women from the interior uh, said, just do it <laughs> and try it, and uh, someone will correct you if you're wrong. But but. Uh, Again, just take a risk and within the relationship, build a relationship with people and you get to know how to do it well. And so I think that's, um, that's another key component is that don't, don't be afraid of making mistakes, obviously with humility and with um, sort of a sense of, <laughs> of respect, take that tone, but, uh, but don't be afraid of having those conversations. And I love what you said about the the it's the smallness it can seem like a small thing a shift in language but the shift in language or even just um, speaking something is the first step in in it precedes further action and so I think that's that's helpful the part about uh, land being sacred and back to alerting us out of our own 
settler, colonial, Western, what have you experience, it, it awakens us to the sense that we've actually commodified this. And it is almost like a, a reverse witness back to us, alerting us to our own tradition and to our own, our own faith and our own calling here in the world. So I think you articulate that well. So I've quickly become the guy on the podcast who tweets out the books and the resources that we use. And Lizabeth, you have brought a stack of books on on our desk here. And for somebody who wants to dive in or maybe take a first step or even just become aware that this is a bigger conversation, where would you send them? So the books I've brought are Christian Indigenous books. voices, which are an important part of this piece, but I would encourage people to read non-Christian Indigenous voices as well, um, because it is a valuable process to what I've come to call becoming unsettled, uh, because it, it is difficult to hear challenges to the power and the privilege that I have felt, um, or maybe not felt and just experienced. Uh, so the, I would recommend um, several people, one of whom uh, is a man named Richard Twiss. He, uh, the book I have here is called Rescuing the Gospel from the Cowboys, a Native American Expression of the Jesus Way. Uh, and he is, um, he is the late Richard Twiss. He died in 2013. Um, but he is a leader in developing a uh, native Christianity, I don't know, why do I say it? He calls it contextualized culture. So uh, he holds um, sweat lodges and powwows um, for Christian people and and has taken some of those things which have traditionally been kind of banned and and certainly uh, the the Christian community has said you know these are pagan rituals um, but he has sort of he has reclaimed them for Christ so he he's a very very articulate person uh, the other one is Randy Woodley who I mentioned earlier and I heard him speak just this fall actually but he wrote a book called Shalom in the Community of Creation and Indigenous Vision and that's he goes through this uh, depiction of the Harmony Way um, and its sort of connection to the biblical concept of Shalom which and very much um, how we as Christians work out our relationship with the physical world and then this other book uh, is a variety of writers some of whom are Christian some of whom are not uh, and they collaborated on this book called Buffalo Shout Salmon Cry Um, it's edited by Steve Heinrichs and uh, that one is really challenging (laughs) in terms of shaking your thinking up and uh, so that was really good that one's out of the the Mennonite tradition the Mennonite Church of Canada Mm -hmm. I think yeah and uh, you loaned it to me and and when I read through it I read many of the chapters some of them were were disturbing yes and I I I don't know it's pushing it's pushing the bounds and and I think that's an important step as well so yeah and I and I think that's that's part of the difficulty for people right they don't want to be shaken up uh but that's the that's the acknowledgement like there is real pain and real anger and there has actually been a lot of forgiveness believe it or not and so um I think that's really important for us for me to to hear and to sort of be shaken up 
non-Indigenous writers, again, with this move in our BC curriculum, it is very easy to, not very easy, but it's far easier than it has been uh, to find Indigenous voices um, at for all grade levels. The, the caveat I would give you is to make sure that what you're reading is actually written by an, an Indigenous person and not something that's been appropriated from them. Um, so a lot of the, the younger, like, children's books and things like that, there, there has been a history of um, appropriation with those stories, but now more and more legitimate voices are being published. And so just make sure that when you, you read about the author and, and see uh, that they are uh, people for whom this is their stories. That, and again, like I, like I said before, make sure that the stories you're telling you have permission to share. Um, and, uh, but yeah, the, there's podcasts, there's CBC has an entire uh, section now on their uh, website and in their media production uh, to deal with indigenous issues and uh, it's a it's a kind of a new era in Canada and 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 that's something that I have heard from indigenous people um, maybe maybe I'm <laughs> more optimistic than they are uh, I'm not sure about that but uh, it is there there are some good things happening and and I think that's why it's exciting to be a Christian educator because we can we can actually move this forward in a new way We've talked a lot about resourcing teachers and about educating ourselves, which is very important, uh, a first step. I'm curious about student response. And Lizabeth, you're a, a veteran teacher, many hours in the classroom. With this paradigm shift, how have some of your students responded to this? I've had such great responses. Um, I teach social justice and geography and um, law, which are all courses that are you know, I talk about content. It, it it's all in there. I, I don't have a problem finding ways to talk about this, uh, just because it is the nature of the courses I teach. However, I have very consciously um, spent a fair bit of time in all of my classes um, talking about these issues and educating students about the um, the realities for Indigenous peoples in Canada, and I think. If my students are the measure of things, which I, I don't know what they are, if they are, but uh, I have, they have been, they've reacted so positively and they, they understand that there can be a new way forward and they understand that some of those sort of stereotypical issues that we uh, have understood indigenous populations as experiencing are a, are a result of some very complex um, systemic issues. And so, once once you explain it to them, they get it. And I think, so I think it will be different than my own education. And, um, and if we are doing our jobs well, um, I think our students will understand our country better. And we will, some of those stereotypical uh, kind of assumptions and, and just ignorance, frankly, and, and racism uh, will be, will be diminished. So... Well, Elizabeth, we'd like to thank you for coming on the show and engaging in such an important conversation with us. Thanks for having me. If you're looking for more content, 
uh, with faith and learning, our Twitter is a great place for you to look, which is at not many of you. This is also the best place where you can get in touch with us if you're looking to engage with some of the ideas that we've been talking about on the show. Uh, We'd like to thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed the show, please give us a great five-star review on the app of your choice. Be sure to also be subscribed to us on the app of your choice to be notified when we have new content. Until then, uh, thanks again for listening. We will see you next time. Thank you.